Welcome to A Million Baptist Podcast, where we discuss church life, theological questions, and cultural influences. Our podcasts are available via Google, Spotify, Apple, and many other podcast platforms. We hope you subscribe and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Amelia Baptist Roundtable Podcast here. We're glad you're joining us, whether it's on Facebook, YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform. We're just grateful that you tune in um, for these podcasts here. Uh, I'm Dylan, and today I have with me Pastor Neil, and um, we're going to be talking about several different things, but first off, over the last couple weeks, uh, you and Adam have been preaching through Second Peter, and uh, especially the last two sermons have been kind of those, if you want to do it in a taking medicine kind of term, you know, yeah. it's good for you, but it doesn't necessarily taste too good yeah, at the that's time. Right. So tell us a little bit about uh, what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks here. Okay. Well, Second Peter is um, uh, Peter trying to encourage a congregation of believers uh, not to follow the false teachers. Now, there are different type of false teachers. And uh, what we get from this one is these are false teachers, beca- not just because of what they taught, but because of the way they acted, the way that they, as Ezekiel said, they were shepherds that devoured the sheep. And so in the last several sermons, it's about the character of those false uh, teachers. So they were very lascivious. They were sensual in their thinking. They would revel and have parties and orgies during the daylight. Even the Greeks were ashamed to do that. So these people were so prideful. Um, We also looked at uh, that they were so prideful that they would pronounce judgment on uh, the fallen angels. And we used the illustration from Jude chapter, uh, not chapter, but verse nine, that even Michael did not uh, pronounce judgment on Satan when they were wrestling over the uh, body of Moses, because only God has the authority to pronounce judgment on the evil demons and uh, on Satan. But the point is that these false teachers were so prideful, they had no boundaries, right? no filters whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that kind of leads us into, I think, the topic we want to talk about today a little bit, um, whether uh, it's a pastor that's listening to this or uh, you know, a lay person that uh, teaches their family at home, teaches Sunday school. The question is uh, the centrality of preaching and teaching God's word. Uh, obviously, it's important. Obviously, it's important for us to, um, for pastors and then for those who are, you know, opening God's word and teaching it uh, to make sure that they are, remain biblical and not teaching false uh, teachings That's right. through there. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we talk about the centrality of preaching and teaching, you brought up a very interesting word that um, I know a lot of us have probably heard, we might not fully understand, uh, and that's a Greek word, ecclesia. That's and right. so you want to dive into that a little bit and explain what that word means and how that relates to sure. centrality. Well, if, if you would only go to seminary, I know, right? then you could study in systematic theology, ecclesiology. Exactly. And ecclesiology is the study of the church. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Uh, the English word church does not come from the Greek word or any other word associated with ecclesia because it doesn't mean church. Mm -hmm. So when the um, 
the New Testament was being translated into English, uh, what the translators did in the 1600s was to, instead of translating the word ecclesia to mean assembly or congregation or gathering, which is what it means, they decided to use an entirely different word. So uh, it's, you know, it's sad that when we talk about church, we don't know what we're talking about. Are we talking about the universal body? Are we talking about a denomination such as the Roman Catholic Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Episcopal Church? Are we talking about, you know, Amelia Baptist Church right here where we come every we Sunday? We are a local gathering group of people. Right. That's one reason um, I even mentioned this in my sermon that uh, when you join Amelia Baptist Church, you're joining just this congregation because we reserve the word ecclesia for a local congregation. So uh, what you're bringing up though, uh, is if we're talking about preaching, what does it have to do with the Greek word ecclesia? Now the, the ecclesia, it was not just a church word at all. I mean, it wasn't a New Testament word. It was a Greek word that was used all over the Greek world. And um, it refers to, uh, you know, the, the, the Greece was made up of city-states. Um, so Athens was the city of Arcadia, for instance. So um, every so often the elected leaders, the citizens, would elect leaders, and every so often, if their city or their state was being threatened, uh, or there was a big decision to be made, they would call people, they would call the cobbler out from his shoe shop. They would uh, call the butcher out from the, the, you know, from his job, and the, uh, you know, just think of all the, the baker, all these people, these were citizens of the city-state. So, ecclesia means called out. That means they're called out of what they're doing. They are to come to the forum or to the area which they were together under the authority of the leaders who called them. And they were there to listen to what was going on. And then they would have also input because the citizens had a voice mm -hmm. in what would be uh, um, discussed. So if that is the context the historical and accurate context of the word ecclesia, what did the New Testament writers mean when they started referring to the ecclesia? Because it certainly was not the English wood church. Right. Uh, it meant assembly. It meant a gathering. And it was intended for the local body of a gatherers of a church who were under the authority of whom? What, local, who is the church uh, under authority of? Christ. Under Christ. All right. So think of it in political terms, just like the heads of the city states called out the citizens to come together to hear what they had to say. Mm -hmm. God has placed us as a, I hate to use the word church, but assembly or gathering or congregation to come under his rule and to listen to what he has to say. Right. He is the authority. So that's how we get from the word ecclesia to the authority of preaching. Because what we emphasize here is that a, you know, what right does a preacher have to say, thus saith the Lord? All right. Is it the fact that 
we are ordained, that we can say that, uh, that through from Peter on down to all the uh, uh, popes after him and then the cardinals and the archbishops and the bishops and just using the Catholic Church, because that's all there was for the first, I don't know, thousand years or so, or... Um, or the fact that you've gone to seminary and, you know, had or, multiple degrees in it. or Yeah, I mean, what, you know, am I ordained by a, uh, a denomination, Southern Baptist or not? Right. Guess who ordains the preachers? A the, church. Yeah. Because that's local gathering the, the local of gathering of, of Christians that they're a member of. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we have here then is that if Christ is the head of the church and he has given us his word, which we believe the Bible is, then when we gather, we should listen to what he has to say in his word. So the authority of the preacher is not from his position or even his ordination, but it's on how closely we stay with the gospel. How closely do we stay to God's word? And so if we draw from God's word alone, we preach the word, Paul told uh, Timothy, um, also to the pastor uh, in uh uh, when he was in Ephesus, he said, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. But what was he supposed to do? To use the word. Mm-hmm. So what happens when someone who stands in the pulpit departs from the word and he begins just to give his opinion? You see, right. there's, there's a problem. Look, every week... Either Adam or I have anywhere from a half hour to an hour, and we try to stay closer to an hour, but it's somewhere between, <laughs> so it's kind of, yeah. yeah, people let us know. Um, to say something out of the 168 hours there are in a week, because what are people listening to the rest of the week? Yeah. Well, I, I don't know what you listen to versus someone else, but the majority of the, most of the information coming to us is from the world. Mm-hmm. And so... Does the church really come together just to hear another person's opinion? Or perhaps we should stick with what God says since he's the king. He's the one who calls us together. And we are to listen to what he has to say. Yeah, and the sad thing is uh, it, it appears in the last you know, 50 or so years especially that more and more people uh, sometimes go to hear uh, a dynamic preacher because it's all about the way it's presented instead of being careful and making sure that what's being presented is straight from God's word and not like you said his opinion I think an important part of that is what we talk about expository preaching versus um, you know topical preaching where the pastor will take a topic he wants to address and then he takes the scripture and makes makes it fit you know what he's trying to say or that's what right. he thinks well, should that's be the danger. said yeah that's exactly right that uh, that's the danger of strict topical preaching it doesn't yeah. mean that you can't find a topic in scripture right. but the question is does does he just go off on what this what he wants to say about it or is he staying true to the scripture that is about that particular topic yeah the idea that all scripture is given by inspiration of that's God. right and it's not just this one part, or it's not just this one verse here. So if you have to go to one verse and pull that out, and it's not the centrality of the Word of God, 
then you're on you know dangerous territory there the um i like uh, you know we've been looking at this book called rediscover church uh by um uh, jonathan and colin and colin was writing this particular chapter that um, we draw the this theme from and he says preachers may be guilty of saying too much or too little <laughs> that means the word is the basis but also the limit of the sermon I remember uh, one of our dear um, uh, men of God in this church uh, and a really good friend. He, he came from a different denomination and he, he came to us, but we were the closest thing to his denomination. And so early on, we were talking about the qualifications of um, deacons or the qualification of elders and things of that nature. And we Baptists have a whole set of qualifications that we put on deacons. Many Baptist churches don't have uh, elders. You know, like they need to be 30 years old. They need to have been members of the church for three years. They need to um, have taught a Sunday school class. I mean, you know, that uh, they're prohibited from doing certain things that the Bible doesn't prohibit and, and, and things of that nature. And I remember him saying, Neil, you'll be a lot safer if you speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I've, I've taken that to heart through the advice. years. Yeah. And it's really helped me to distinguish what are some of my Baptist traditions that are biblical and what are some of my Baptist traditions that may not be biblical. Um, Mark Dever uh, is quoted as saying this he compares the preacher's work to the task of a mail carrier the mail carrier does not walk up to your door open up the mail jot down a few extra notes reseal the envelope and then place the letter in your mailbox a mail carrier simply delivers the mail so it is with the preacher the word helps us discern the proper authority he has the authority to simply deliver the mail, nothing else. And that's what we should be doing from the pulpit and in our Bible studies and things of that nature. And I think the flip side, too, is for us um, as the congregation, as those who are listening to biblical preaching, uh, we need to be careful that we're not focusing only on listening or desiring our preacher to be somebody who basically always encourages us or builds us up in ourselves. Um, we should be looking to be convicted by the Word of God, looking for them to handle those topics as they come up, as you're going through Second Peter and you hit false teaching, and you want your pastor uh, to hit those topics dead on to, through what the Bible says, to expound on those uh, and, and, and to teach from that instead of saying, well, this is uncomfortable. We don't want him to preach right. on this right. um, because it makes us feel uncomfortable when he does. Um, and so I think that's important for uh, those listening to understand that encourage your pastors as they are going through these tough topics because it's hard for them a lot of times to preach those tough topics. It's and not it's hard for to you to up. listen to it. Right. It's not always easy, I'm sure, for you to get up <laughs> well, this there. Is, you bring up a great point. This is a reciprocal relationship. Mm -hmm. So um, if, if, if I'm expounding the scriptures 
and I do that over a period of years, then what happens is that the people of God hear what God's word has to say. And we talk about the application and the Holy Spirit applies it. And then they begin to grow. Well, let's just say that uh, the Lord calls me home and someone else is to come in now. Adam is our co-preacher. We're together. I tell you, he and I have such different personalities, but we have one heart and, and it's great. And we have the same view of scripture and theology and the ecclesia, <laughs> you know, the church. Um, but, uh, you know, what happens in some churches is that a pastor leaves who may have been expounding the scripture. And then the pastor search committee, they listen to other people's sermons and they, they say, I like the way he preaches, but they don't know if he is an expository preacher. They don't know if he is staying with the word. And so they bring him in. And what is the congregation then supposed to do if from the pulpit there are is just topical opinionated sermons about uh issue one out of Washington, D.C., or issue two out of Tallahassee, or what's going on in, you know, I, I believe in application, that's not the problem. But if the pulpit just becomes a sounding board of opinions or positions within the community, then there is a responsibility for the congregation to lovingly, like you said, encourage. Um, but unfortunately, we we get what we want. Mm -hmm. And so the congregation may not want biblical preaching. They want someone with certain political views. When they interview them, they may say, well, what do you believe about um, uh, pro-choice or pro-life? What do you believe about intersectionality? What do you believe about um, what's going on in our communities? And so they're judging the man by what politics has laid out. But we have no idea if he preaches what the scripture preaches. So, yes, the preacher's responsible, but the congregation is responsible for what is coming from the pulpit. And it goes back to the idea that the head is Christ, right. not the preacher, not the pastor of that church. And if you understand that, then it takes pressure off of him um, and then also allows the congregation to be uh, involved in the process. So it's this mutual uh, growing I together. I love preaching to Lord. this congregation. Mm -hmm. I, you know, yeah. I don't have to worry about any wolves <laughs> out there in sheep's clothing deciding, mm -hmm. you know, we need to change this or get rid of this. It's, sure. it's really good. Um, again, Colin said, the more preachers help you to know and love the word, the more you develop that taste for yourself and a better taste you develop for meaty preaching. So what we do in the pulpit should and will over a period of time have an effect on what the expectation of the congregation is that they not only want to hear, they want to learn. It's not only enough for you to have confidence that your preacher is going to preach the word. The preacher has responsibility to equip you to know the word to dissect the word, to study it accurately, and to teach it because every parent is a teacher. Yeah, exactly. And each person is going to have some influence. So what are they going to say? Well, they're going to say what they've been hearing. Yeah. I think that's important to, again, remind that it's not just the pastor's responsibility 
like you said, for 30 minutes or an hour on a Sunday morning uh, to be teaching uh, God's word, especially if you're parents, um, this is a calling that God's given you to be teaching your, the next generation um, uh, the scriptures. That's and, right. And help them to have a love for it uh, there. So, Well, Paul told Timothy, for time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to truth and wander off into myths. So that's that congregation. Notice it's saying they accumulate for themselves that search committee. Am I going to hear what I want to hear? And, and listen, um, you know that I will tell you this. There are some pastors who love that because they've been called to a certain political congregation who share that political congregation's views. And now all he has to do is to keep reinforcing those political views or societal views. But then there are others who um, they really do love the word, but they also don't have any place to go if they're fired. Right. And so they have to make a hard choice. Am I going to preach the word the way that it was intended, also with love, or do am I afraid to keep, I, that I may lose my job? My job. Yeah. Right. So I... I feel sorry for those guys. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, while it might be tough, like you said, there's only, if you understand this principle of the centrality of the Word of God, it really only leaves one option, um, and that is to be faithful in that and, uh, and uh, lead the results up to God. And it's easier said than done. Yeah, if your livelihood depends on it. Right. Uh, I mean, there are people even today in uh, in this nation who are having to decide on things that may be less important than God's word, but it's going to have the same result as far as employment is concerned mm -hmm. because of personal convictions that they have. Yeah. And that's really going to be. And a, you brought a up a good thing. point today when we were discussing some of these issues in staff meeting, and that was that um, the word of God never changes. And if we uh, continue to go back to God's word and uh, see what God says, it's going to give us uh, a moral responsibility as a church and as individuals to uphold the word of God and right. uphold specific principles. And that might be labeled as one political opinion or another political opinion, but it's important for us to not remember that it's not about a political side or a political opinion but it's about remaining true to what god has said over the years it's not changing what he said you know uh thousands of years ago is still relevant for us today and it's you it's just have to believe that it's god's believe word believe it and then apply it that's to right. our daily life yeah. well you know the, the, i'm not a prophet nor am i the son of a prophet but we know that at least the Old Testament was written by prophets who said, thus saith the Lord. Mm -hmm. And they did it at their own uh, expense sometimes because it was usually to the kings and to the princes and to those of authority who didn't like it. Uh, for instance, poor Jeremiah, you know, he was he was telling them to do something. The kings didn't like it and they threw him in a cistern just so that he would 
die of starvation. Right. You know, they so, hated him so because much. they hated him. Because they hated him. Speaking what God told. That's him. right. And so, to your point, uh, I just want to make this clear that uh, there's a lot of people who have different political positions that they think it's in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Before a lot of these issues became political, I mean, I've been around preaching for uh, in, in, in service uh, to a church for 50 years. And even though I've grown in my faith, there are certain things that I believe have always been true and I've, and I've tried never to waver from them. And what's happened is in our culture is that politics has now captured some of these moral issues such as life. Mm -hmm. And now if you just even preach what the word says, about them, then you are labeled either one party or another. Right. And, uh, and that's really unfortunate because um, we try to keep politics, and we do, I think, pretty well out of the pulpit here at Amelia Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that there's going to be, since we do expository preaching, we're going to come across a topic that may not be in Second Peter and it may not be in Jude, but it may be in, you know, several books down the road that we're just going to have to go, you know, this is going to be misunderstood no matter how much we try to um, contextualize what we're getting ready to say. Half the people are going to take it negatively. Half the people are going to go, yeah, this, you know, that's our party. Both are wrong, (laughs) you know, because it isn't about party. It's about what does the scriptures say? And one reason we try to stay away from that is because... uh, the hill that the church is going to fight on is going to be, are we going to obey God or are we going to obey man? Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's honestly the history of the early church. That's when, right. uh, you know, uh, the government was trying to squash this new, um, what they considered this new uprising of, of this religious sect and the reason and they called it the reason they called it an uprising is because of the word ecclesia exactly yeah go ahead and and then you know they had to say you know we're going to obey god and so that's where you have a lot of the martyrs and stuff that happened because they weren't willing to sacrifice what god had said uh, because of the opinion one way or the other of the of the government well that's there, a so. that's a great segue back into the beginning mm-hmm the word ecclesia is a word that was about citizens of a city-state. And it was the politicians and the leaders who brought them together. So the word ecclesia has some political and governmental overtones in it. The writers of the New Testament knew that. And so they use the word ecclesia, knowing that this is in the minds of the hearers and the readers, because they're setting a tone. Because when we are called together as a church or as an assembly, as a congregation, we're being called by our king. He is our authority. His word is his word to us. Therefore, it is our authority. And therefore, When we look at his word, we cannot vacillate from the word in order to please whatever government is in power. 
And and you're right. The reason that they were martyred was not just because they became, quote unquote, Christians. It was a political statement. Mm -hmm. Caesar was usurped as Lord when they were baptized. They were baptized saying Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. And therefore, when we come to the scriptures, Jesus is Lord. He's the author and he is the one who has the authority and he gives anyone who will preach and teach his word the authority. The reason Jesus spoke with authority that the uh, scribes didn't is because the scribes added laws to God's law. When Jesus spoke, he interpreted the original intent of even the Old Testament. And in his first sermon in Nazareth, they said, would you leave please? So he went to the heart of the issue. That's right. Instead of just the rule there. Um, You know, I'm encouraged, especially in our community here, that God has allowed us, um, when we talk about Ecclesia and the gathering together, um, you know, one thing I I think of is we're on our 25th year of gathering together as churches in this community to share the the love of Christ and the gospel. Um, And the story the centrality of God's word with our community every Christmas. And um, I'm just reminded last year, everything was shut down and people from 15 different churches came together. A gathering, the church, to share the centrality of God's word there. And I think that's an encouragement that that it is possible to remain centered on God's word and to fellowship together as believers and to gather and to live this out practically in, in today, in, uh, in the culture that we live in. That and is so, a great application of this, because when you say there were 15 churches, when we all came together and we took our part into the presentation of the gospel, mm-hmm. the angel with Mary, the angel with Joseph, and the shepherds in a nativity scene, and the, uh, the wise men, all spoke of Christ. And each one in those different arenas or stages may have been from a different local body, but we all were centered on one thing, mm-hmm. and that was God's revelation of Jesus Christ in His Word. Yeah. And if we keep that as the main focus, everything I, else that falls is my into prayer place. to keep us Christ-centered, family equipping under the authority of God's Word. I've enjoyed this. Yes. Thank you, Pastor Neil, uh, for the words of wisdom. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to our roundtable here. Uh, continue to uh, tune in and listen as we put these out uh, biweekly. Share these with your friends, uh, family, neighbors. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to contact us. Any thoughts, need prayer and encouragement, we're always here for you there. Um, look forward to next time and uh, continuing as we dive into not only biblical topics but also uh, cultural topics and how they relate to the Bible here. So thank you everyone and see you next time. Yeah.